0: Hello and happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things DOCSIS. Today we're covering DOCSIS 3.1 and 4.0 and exploring how cable operators can use these cutting-edge technologies to take their network to the next level. I'm your host, Brady Volt, founder of Nimble This and the Volt Firm. Joining me as always is John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. Together we'll be unpacking the technical advancements that make DOCSIS 4.0 a game changer in the broadband landscape and sharing some valuable insights that we have on how cable operators can seamlessly, or maybe not so seamlessly transition from DOCSIS 3.1 to 4.0. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage and get ready to learn about the future of lightning fast internet connectivity. So let's bring in our expert guest, John Downey. John is a CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John is an expert in DOCSIS technology, an expert in biceps, but still needs some help with his calves. We're thrilled to have him back on the show to share his insights and expertise on DOCSIS 3.1 and 4.0. Welcome back, John.
1: Always oh, great to be here. Hey, I'm going to get some implants for my calves. Yeah. It's much we,
0: <laughs> well, what's the what's ROI on the implants and calves, John? The
1: ROI investment in calves really sucks. <laughs> the time you put in, uh, you're just, you either have them or you don't. <laughs> good, far, good farmer boys have big calves. I don't know what it is about big farmer boys, uh, but I was never graced with good calves.
0: Well, you know, at least uh, we got the doxus side down. And I, and I think that's really why people come and listen to the show. It's not to look <laughs> at your calves. <laughs>
1: I'm going to invent, uh, uh, remember leg warmers back in the 80s? Oh, yeah. Oh, you, I mean, you
0: know, those are probably going to come back around. They're kind of in the 70s now, so I think uh, the 80s yeah. will come soon. <laughs> i
1: to make leg warmers for men. Yeah. <laughs> make your calves look bigger.
0: <laughs> so um,
1: so uh, what's on your shirt, by the way?
0: Oh, this is uh, one, uh, this one of, one of our shirts, one drop at a time, with kind of like the Volt Firm logo and stuff. So, you know, it's how we fix the cable plants. One drop at a time, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, no, and, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, my title of CM- technical leader, CMTS, and yes, Cisco still is doing cable. <laughs> yes, And no matter how much people think we're getting out, we still have the CMTS. We still have uh, the the 1RU RPD shelf, so we still have that. You know, all the hard- other hardware and RF-related stuff, we've kind of sold off to ATX, took over some of it, uh, the RPD. Um, so all that stuff is still interoperability with our CMTS. Um Still you know, have Comcast, Charter, um, Cox Communications, international customers that we're still supporting. Our big push really is DOCSIS 3.1 still. Exploit what you got. Go to 204. Uh, push that as far as you can. Uh, and let's see where Doxis 4.0 comes out.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's a great segue because that's that's kind of the, the meat of our show today is to talk about DOCSIS 3.1. There's a long road ahead for DOCSIS 3.1, but at the end of that road, a lot of cable operators are really looking, do I go fiber or do I go DOCSIS 4.0? And there's that, that's that's a fantastic thing in our industry, that we have these different options, these different choices for cable operators. Certainly, there's a lot of opportunity in DOCSIS 3.1, which we'll be talking about today. Um, but 4.0 is coming down the line, and we'll talk about those timelines. So um, definitely, if you're watching, you know, for our listeners out there, drop in the chat or in, in the chat, uh, uh, below, uh, yeah, comments. Thank you, Mia, and the comments below. What, where you're at, and what, and what you're doing, because um, that'll help guide our conversation. So, John, I um, I had the pleasure uh, of attending Light Reading's Cable Next Gen Conference last week in uh, Denver, Colorado, and and I, I just want to take a moment to thank the presenters, the vendors, and uh, the entire staff of Light Reading who made that show possible. I Also, want to particularly thank Alan Bresnick and Jeff Umgardner for inviting me to the event and just putting on. Such an amazing show. Uh, Also, a special shout-out to Mike Dano, who did a fantastic job in moderating the panel that I was on and that focused on convergence. We'll talk about that later on. Um, In today's show, we'll be discussing some of the key takeaways and insights I brought back from the conference. Um, If any of our listeners um, have never attended that conference, I highly recommend recommend attending it live, or you can also attend it virtually. past couple of years, we've done this virtually due to COVID. Um, if you were if you did attend a conference please let me know what you thought about it you, drop that in the chat or also in the comments below and then um, John' we're, you know the first part of this we'll talk about what Comcast has been up to I, and I want to mention we've had some great questions come in from our viewers if time permits we'll answer them at the end of the show if not we'll be sure to address those in our next broadcast so um, John jumping into kind of like uh, Comcast did a, a great summary of kind of what they're doing I just want to touch on some key bullet points of what they talked about. They're doing a 100% virtualized network. By virtualized, it's like virtualized CMTS. They're doing, uh, they're kind of managing everything with machine learning and AI to, to sort of run that network. They're doing everything with digital nodes. And so, you know, we've talked lots about digital nodes. These are RPDs in fiber nodes. So this is kind of like our new fiber node technologies, but they're all, you know, they say they're all sitting a few hundred feet from their customers which allows them to provide a much higher grade of service than what you'd be able to do with an analog node and you know having made many many no or amplifiers after that node and then a a key aspect of that is is they already have eighty three thousand of these digital nodes deployed and they're deploying 1500 nodes per week which that's absolutely amazing. And, and they're doing it through automation. So automation is a key aspect of how they're deploying fifth imagine that, 1,500 nodes well, per week they're deploying. deploying
1: the nodes automate with, with drones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's our RFX to put them on the poles.
0: Well, I mean, a key aspect, so they have to have a workforce, right? But a key aspect of that is a workforce. They have automation to deploy the nodes. Um, all the nodes, they don't have pads, they don't have EQs, it's all, and, and you, you and I have talked about this before, you had, I think you call it the intelligent node um, that you guys had, I think now that's with, I, with uh, ATX now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that's, that's sort of a key thing or a key change in our industry. Um, techs aren't running around with this kind of these new nodes. And we'll talk about smart amps in a little bit. We're not putting pads in and EQs. It's like kind of auto balancing, auto leveling, kind of, there's a lot of smarts in here, but, um, so Comcast already has 11 million plus homes that they've already upgraded to this kind of new, virtualized, um, advanced network that they have. And over the next six years, they plan to triple the amount of capacity. So they're gonna triple the amount of data that they have, but during that time, they're gonna reduce the power consumption by 50% uh, through virtualization. So tripling the capacity and reducing the power consumption by 50%, all part of virtualization, by you know eliminating kind of this legacy CMTS and going to a virtualized architecture. And in doing so, they're going to be able to offer up to 2 gigabits per second in the downstream and 200 megabits per second in the upstream. This is, and this is DOCSIS 3.1, we haven't even got to, to DOCSIS 4.0 yet because DOCSIS 4.0 is, equipment is not yet available. Um, stay tuned folks, we'll be talking later on in the podcast when DOCSIS 4.0 equipment is going to be available. But they have done some field trials in Denver with DOCSIS 4.0, when we get to DOCSIS 4.0, they're able to deliver 8.5 gigabits per second into downstream. And five gigabits per second in the upstream using their full duplex technology with DOCSIS 4.0, and, and they also combine that. So this is you know this has been some things that they've had in the press with what they call Comcast Octave. So Comcast Octave is their, um, their profile management application or PMA, and that's that's something Nimble. This well we don't have Octave. Nimble this does PMA as well, um, but they have an AI engine. That looks at 4,000 data points and makes PMA updates every 20 minutes, and that's giving them a 45% increase to their upstream capacity. So it's it's continuously looking at any impairments in their upstream, compensating for those in their OFDMA channels, and I think also their SCQAM channels. I could be incorrect by that, and and adjusting. Things in their CMTS so their cable modems can transmit 45% more efficiently in the upstream. Then they also get into um, their FDX amplifiers that they're using. So, you know, originally the Comcast architecture was node plus zero, but there was just so many places they couldn't get to with node plus zero, especially in like rural areas. Well, now they're getting FDX amplifiers. They can go up to node plus six. They're limiting it at node plus six, but they said they could even go beyond that. And then the last bullet point to cover. Last bullet point, and then I'll, I'll let you jump in. I know you're biting at the tongue here. No, um, during COVID, and I didn't know this happened, but during COVID, they deployed AQM. What's uh, uh, oh, that what it was? AQM? Adap- uh, adaptive
1: queuing management.
0: Yes, adaptive queuing management, so that they could have low latency docs. So we've covered low latency doxes a lot, and that they had done a hackathon so that they could actually. Prove that you know gaming experience pr- proved and and stuff like that. So um, I know I just covered a lot. I wanted to get these bullet points out before they fell out of my mind. But so much uh, they they kind of just did a, a drop of all this uh, cool things that you know they talked about. They're doing uh, for our listeners. Please you know let us know what you think about what Comcast is doing. Drop it in the chat. Drop it in the, in in the uh, description below. But um, yeah amazing things are talking about doing um cool stuff in the industry john your thoughts
1: all right so first of all fuzzy math <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, when you start throwing out percentages it's what does that mean right if i go from zero to zero it's a hundred percent you know it's infinite zero, it's zero so i i got i'm curious where the numbers come from. First, you started off by saying they're going 100% AI MI. It made it sound like they already are, but they're not, right? They want to get to 100% right uh, virtual. It's a
0: That's goal. True. I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a stretch it goal that they're going to. Yeah.
1: And and because and I know there's some towns and little towns that Comcast owns that they might never get there. And, you know, like I've dealt with a lot of MSOs. Remember dealing with Oceanic? Uh, that was a subsidiary of Time Warner out in the and Hawaii. Hawaii. Well, you say they're an island unto themselves because they are. <laughs> they're in Hawaii. Quite so literally. A lot of time, they, would they would do their own thing. They might have been dictated by Time Warner Corporate, but they still did their own thing. Cox and San Diego, a lot of times they were doing their own thing as well, and they were kind of leading the race. But Cox has their own management team in Atlanta yep. that dictates what all the Cox systems are supposed to do. So you have cookie-cutter designs that everyone sort of follows, and it's easier for logistics. So yep. I know there's always going to be one-offs here and there. I mean, even at Cisco, we might have a few guys at Comcast. Hey, can you send us a CMTS? We're in dire straits here in this rinky-dink little town. Well, what happened to the virtual harmonic? Well, we need it now. So timing is of the essence also. It's like, what do you have? Like, RPDs, they're ready to go. Remote Mac 5, maybe not so much. So let me do the RPD because I can get it going. You talked about fiber. Fiber, we could all agree fiber is going to be better than anything we can do, but it's the beam counters that we have to get by. I mean... And you brought up a good thing about the, the fiber was time to market. Yes. Or sort of like, I already have someone online. And if you tell me I can put fiber in there, if I got to rip something out and put that in, it's going to be a week. That's not going to happen.
0: You know, that was actually a comment that came up during the uh, conference last week is that, um, you can run fiber into a neighborhood, but getting the modem out of the subscriber's home, it can be really problematic and, and, uh, there were a number of cable operators that talked about how they have fiber and Doxis networks deployed in the same markets, but turning down those Doxis networks is so hard because we just can't get into subscribers' homes so many times to get the modems out and, and then run the new fiber drop into those subscribers' homes. It's, access to subscribers' homes is very, very difficult sometimes. Some subscribers' easy, other subscribers' not so easy.
1: The other math number you had was uh, how much power they would save. And I can understand if you do virtualization, you get rid of the CMTS, which could be a big power draw. But you're still putting in servers, too. Those servers aren't cold. (laughs) They run a lot of heat as well, and you're stacking them up. So, I mean, they're going to have some power draw as well. Um, I I doubt that they're saying they're going to save much energy out in the field. They're probably talking more head end CMTS. It's
0: the 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 energy. I believe the majority of the energy savings occurs in a head end because we you know these the servers do. consume energy. There's no question about that. Um, But the presentation that I did last year at SCT Expo, I think it was about a 9x power savings um, from a legacy CMTS to the servers. The servers are just inherently more efficient because the CPU, and they're using Intel CPUs in, in these virtualized servers, they are just inherently more energy efficient than the FPGAs and uh, the the traditional capabilities that we have in legacy CMTSs.
1: you are getting rid of all the video qualms, the CMTS qualms. You're putting the qualm and the RF out in the field in an RPD. Newer technology makes them maybe more efficient. But that node enclosure now is going from, um, what is it? What was the the rule of thumb on the node? You had to keep it under how much? Uh,
0: it was ninety watts, I think. It was it was even still the yeah. uh, the new what RPDs. Is, is
1: the power the power what, consumption yeah.
0: on the new RPD amplifier, the new <laughs> digital fiber nodes, it, it's yeah. actually come down quite a bit from what it was, and I, and I think that's because of the new ASICs that they're they're putting into yeah. them. Um, but so I, didn't, I,
1: didn't they raise that limit for the new? Uh, they the, did raise the
0: power thing? limit. I I what don't remember the node? power limit off the top of my head.
1: What was the node uh, feature that uh, Cablelabs was working on?
0: The smart the, amplifiers.
1: Uh, no, no, the the gap node. Gap node, yeah. gap node. yes, yeah, the gap node. I thought it was they increased it a little bit because they, they knew if you were going to do remote Mac 5, remote five, all the capabilities that we're going to have to loosen up the power requirements a little bit. Um, and I think it was 1.5, I don't know, it was 150 watts or it was something higher up than, than what we were used to. But I mean, regardless, if you say, I am going to get rid of all my line extenders, all my uh, trunk amps, bridge amps," that means you're going to have more digital nodes out there as well. Correct. You know, you're talking about 1,500 nodes deployed in, in weekly, 1,500 nodes could be just one town, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. And and this happened in my neighborhood too. I mean, we we went from a node at the entrance to my neighborhood to there's multiple nodes throughout my neighborhood. There's, I mean, there's basically a node, a fiber node sitting right between my house and my neighbor's house. So that that's going to happen. You're going to have a lot more nodes and a lot less amplifiers, but I want to, I want to comment on, I think a really good point you made. You were, you were talking about getting rid of the analog in the head end and that's, that's going to go to IPTV. So I'm, I'm working with a, a customer right now that is transitioning from legacy CMTSs to virtual CMTSs. And one of the things they realized right away is their analog video solution had to go away. And they had to find an IPTV provider. Um, so and they're a smaller, you know, they're not like a tier one cable operator. A smaller cable operator. There are IPTV providers out there. You can partner with them. So if you know you're a cable operator and you're thinking virtualization, be sure you realize all your existing set top boxes out there. Those become obsolete as soon as you start to go into this digital uh, virtualization, virtualized. Um, world and you go to RPDs, analog goes away out of your system. IPTV is something that you have to embrace immediately. And legacy set-top boxes go away. Um, There's a number of ways you can do this, but it's something you have to immediately consider. Uh, That does reduce an amazing amount of power in your head end because all of these uh, traditional analog or um, MPEG-type solutions, those all go away.
1: Um, That that used to be that is probably the biggest hurdle is do you still have analog video? And that used to be our our go to negative when someone says, hey, why don't I just do GPON or EPON? Yes. Yeah, you can do GPON, EPON for internet, but what about video? Correct. How are you going to get the video there? So you have to go full IP video. So if you do have a full IP video, then it begs the question should I just do fiber to the home and GPON? Um, there's still cost. I mean it's still cheaper in the long run to do say remote fi and, and utilize the quality of service and the, the settings of Doxus and a DOXUS modem and still maybe do coax for the last mile or kilometer. You know, it's a it's getting shorter and shorter with the coax, right?
0: Yep. But as a cable operator, if you're thinking, you know, at some point I'm gonna go pawn or at some point I'm gonna go um, virtualization, making that switch from analog to IP video. You're gonna to have to do it some point. And once you've done it, now you you're you're kind of unchained. And you have the the have the ability to go either pawn or you know, whatever flavor of DOX you wanna go. So I really think it's it's a it's a good thing as a cable operator to start thinking about IPTV now because it it really expands your horizons and, and frees you on where you can go. Um, so, uh, just want to go to the chat room for a moment here. Uh, Jeremiah says, um, FD- "N plus six FDX sounds like a headache. I don't want it to be. I don't want to. I don't see it being possible. Virtualization all." also has its own core bandwidth limits. Seems like a lot to overcome in six years. Jeremiah, I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of unknowns, both on the FDX side and on, you know, uh, growing pains on the virtualization side as well. Local trees, thank you so much. You're always a great supporter. Really appreciate that. And Daria, thanks for joining. Great to see you. Appreciate everyone in the chat room. Please drop in your comments and questions.
1: so, so let, me, let, me get on, let me get on the FDX. I had two more things that, What you brought up. Uh, FDX, um, keep in mind that even though it's full duplex, the modems will never be full duplex. It just means the network is full duplex. So if I have a buddy that's on a different leg of the node and he's doing eight, nine gig down, I can still do four or five gig up because we're overlapping our frequencies, but we're separated so far in the network and kind of isolated between each other. Now you start putting in amplifiers, that becomes a real hassle. They always talk about doing an FDX amp, but that was a node plus one. When I see this node plus six, is it really node plus six cascade? Or are they talking about node plus six amplifiers? So. Yeah, I'm on a call. Thank you. Hi, Mal. <laughs> my, my wife just walked right through.
0: Yeah, that's that's John's uh-huh. wife, Mal. She's a terrific person. <laughs> <can walk>
1: through. <laughs> <laughs> Next, my dog will walk in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll see the whole family. All
1: right. <laughs> but it's because I, I remember talking to a few of our own engineers, and once you do Node Plus One, your interference group and your transmission group, like, which devices will interfere with each other. That group gets bigger and bigger. Yes. Once you put the amplifiers in. Um, so you lose your full duplex because if you're all in the same interference group, you're not full duplex in that interference group. Um, so I also knew that, um, you know how am- the node splits off to different legs? Yes. You could have a node and 20 amplifiers, but it's still a node plus one. Yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying, right? So you still have a lot of amplifiers but only one in cascade because you just break off every di- different direction. And that makes sense too. And so a node plus one cascade, maybe that's doable. But this node plus six, I'm wondering if it's semantics or they're really talking about doing a cascade of six amplifiers in an FDX solution.
0: So they were talking about a cascade of six amplifiers. Um, again, I, I still think there's a lot to, to uh, see how the FDX technology plays out, the full duplex technology. I'm excited to see how it works and and how it plays out. But there's still going to be some time till we get there. And and we'll talk about that timeline shortly. Um, Abraham is talking about the transition to DOCSIS 4.0 is exciting, but isn't there still headroom to take advantage of DOCSIS 3.1? And we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes about the runway, because there's still a lot of headroom, a lot of capability in in DOCSIS 3.1. But before we get there, John, um, I want to move away from the Comcast discussion. Oh, you got one more? Okay, I'll pause. One One more. one
1: more mathematical uh, fuzzy math was using PMA to increase my upstream capacity like 45%. It's like, where were you starting? Right. What's your starting point? How did you get 45%? Uh, if you're starting at 16 qualm, then heck, I can do that without PM. You know, <laughs> 16 QAM to
0: 64 QAM, we can achieve yeah. 45% right there.
1: Oh, yeah, easily, right? <laughs> so it's like it's it's 2 to the 4th versus 2 to the 6th. So that's 50% when you look at bits per hertz, right? 16 yes. QAM is 2 to the 4th power. 64 is 2 to the 6th power. So that's two more bits. So, yeah, it's 50%. Um, my point is... If I'm starting out at 64 qualms, I'm maxed out at 6.4 megahertz wide channel single carrier qualms, you're not gonna increase anywhere past that anyway, because that's as far as it goes. The OFDMA is a different story, but we have profile management that can do that in the CMTS that don't need external complications and um, complexity to do all these numbers and run these numbers. Now doing that will be great. And I think if you want to optimize upstream and try to get 4k qualm out of the upstream that might be a good place also in docsis 3.1 there was an option for 8k qualm and 16k qualm which sounds like a pipe dream yes (laughs) on the upstream sounds hard (laughs) That, that, that pun was intended um but i think if we did implement those options and we use pma and machine learning we could squeeze out a little bit more speed from certain modems that are maybe right off the node you yes. know, what I'm, you know
0: what I'm saying. Uh, although you know, I have customers that are starting to put that second OFDMA channel up in uh, all the way up to you know ending at 204 oh. megahertz. That's a yeah. pretty clean area. So when you say, oh, you know, 4K qualm, 16K qualm, in the upstream sounds like a pipe a pipe dream. When I look at that frequency spectrum um, from like 100 to 204 megahertz. Well, except within the FM band, it's really, really clean. FM
1: bands, so 108 to 204 is 96 megahertz. Yeah. So you're right there at the edge of the FM band. So You're not getting interference there. If you have to worry about leakage detection, we had that in our one of our last uh, podcasts, right? You could uh, exclude a little bit of area and do uh, leakage testing from the modems themselves where they Correct. generate the sample. Um, but yeah, that spectrum should be darn clean, right? Uh, when we went... Off air analog to off air digital, PBS, Fox, all those channels that were off air and say your neck of the woods, a lot of them actually were transmitting digital higher end, not on the lower end. So right. maybe that spectrum is open now. It's hard to say. You know, when the government tries to make money, they're selling the spectrum as much as they can.
0: Yeah. So, and and I think this kind of leads into Abraham's question about how much more can we get out of DOCSIS three point one, and it's a lot. uh, When you start to upgrade your plant to DOCSIS or to two hundred four megahertz, you have a lot of upstream and a lot of downstream capacity. So, um, so getting away from again getting away from Comcast and into the evolution of broadband services, um, this is this is kind of talking about. and these are key takeaways from another panel of how broadband services are changing. So we talked about low latency doxis. Uh, there was a, a poll that was taken about what consumers are willing to pay for low latency. And it was about eighty percent of consumers are willing to pay an additional five to twenty dollars a month for low latency doxis. And this gets into if you know if you're if you're particularly if you're particularly, oh, easy for me to say, (laughs) if you're a gamer. Uh, For example, like you're playing Call of Duty, Halo, Fortnite, or any FPS game, This is like your area of like I'm like I would definitely be willing to pay that to get low latency doxes and have really good quality of service of gaming. I mean, this makes or breaks your gaming experience. Um, Another area of that of of this kind of you know next gen in gaming or next gen in, in services is CPES. We have in in our CPES, and I've you know got a bunch of them up here there's an immense amount of processing power in these CPEs that goes largely unused. So that gives us the concept of ultra-edge compute and what we could do with this. You know, one CPE you can't do a lot with, but when we are talking about millions, of, you know, 50, hundreds of millions of um, of these modems sitting in subscribers' houses, there's a lot we could do with this as we start to kind of Combine them all together. Um, John, you may remember like years and years ago, there was like this SETI project where you could donate unused um, compute on your computer and you could we could process data for SETI. I remember this because I was donating my compute resources to uh, uh, analyze SETI. They're talking about the same thing with cable modems where we could uh, donate compute from our cable modems to do things like cancer research and other altruistic um, purposes. And then they're kind of extending that further to saying, well, you know, it may not just be subscribers that are interesting to do that, but businesses. So that we have a lot of IoT things in our homes, like refrigerators and um, ovens, toasters, things like that, even our cars, that there may be businesses that would want to take care of this and start aggregating things. So we can determine like, when's our refrigerator going to go bad, but we need larger processing power to start doing that. And then Then there's also the concept of being able to sell business services from the cable operator. So, you know, a lot of customers today, subscribers, use things like Dropbox and and other cloud-type services to store data. Well, cable operators could also be able to provide those same type of services to subscribers, but they would be able to keep the network on the cable operator uh, network. So it's you know it's not going to a third party par- party cloud provider, but it's going to a data storage that the cable operator is providing at ideally a lower cost because that data is staying on, an, on a subscriber's network um, or you know maybe even a cable modem itself because this is sort of that edge compute, but we have to make sure that we can do that reliably and secure. So this is all kind of like this next gen of how cable operators can provide new and advanced services to subscribers. So kind of that next gen concept.
1: It, it's, I think what, the key there will be security. Yes. <laughs> you know, most people want a firewall. Uh, maybe VPN becomes more prevalent. Uh, if I'm VPNing all my information and uh, encrypting it, um, which device would be able to be utilized? And maybe it's just the modem itself. Everything behind the modem is all natted, right? It's all 192 addresses and a firewall. Um, so no devices behind it can be seen by someone external it, it's just uh, it, it, it makes you feel like uh, we're in a, a futuristic world and just talking about like this brain you know like all these endpoints are all communicating or talking to each other or share load sharing the CPU or something to that nature it, it's it's interesting and I think what it comes down to also is what's in it for me? Yeah. You know what's there for me? If I'm going to say yeah, I'll donate some of this, I'm not donating nothing. <laughs> I'm going to get paid for it. I'm going to get $5 a month off my bill or something, right? And that's I think that's what it'll come down to for the typical consumer too. It's like
0: well, I mean, not, if you think about you, it, it, subscribers are already have modems in their house that they, whether they know it or not, they have Wi-Fi, open Wi-Fi that is enabled for other people when they're driving by. You know, if you're if you're a Comcast subscriber, you might be logging on to someone else's Wi-Fi access point and and using their Wi-Fi, and that's you know, that's part of the Comcast network. And other other large operators are doing that same thing. So that's already starting to happen where, um, you know, we can use services from someone else's network. And I think we're just looking, operators are looking at how we can explore to use more of those services based on the CP there that is there because that CP has a lot more capabilities. Um, so we have some we have some questions on the on the chat that's coming in. Um, so David says, Hi, "I'd like to ask what your opinion is on the future of RF cable TV with DOCSIS 4.0. Do you expect large migrations to IPTV? I'm specifically talking about TV such as DVBC. So um, I think I think, you know, the answer to IPTV is an absolute yes. Like we we really can't get to DOCSIS 4.0 without trans transitioning all of our analog to IPTV, we we mentioned to that um, John. Your, your you know comments on DVBC side of that.
1: Yeah, digital video broadcast cable. Um, it's not really digital, right? It's uh, analog uh, digital stacks. It's haystacks. It's yes. qualm. Um, I I don't know what the latest numbers are, but I'm subject to this as well. I'm a cord cutter. Yeah, I got rid of my analog. I'm doing everything over the top. Now, same here. Granted, over the top. Um, in the long run, you have to pay for different services: Prime TV, Disney Plus, uh, Hulu TV, uh, Paramount Plus, just so I can watch uh, 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 Yellowstone or <laughs> 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 um, Netflix. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of like over the top video stuff, and if you have a good internet connection with enough speed, uh, you could have a you know the one thing I miss though is my DVR. There was a DVR. I, my set you know I too missed the I DVR box, I lost everything I recorded. Yes,
0: <laughs> that's it. That is a, That is a downside of, of cutting the cord is you miss that DVR. Um, so uh, David says so far you've you've uh, uh, you've also mentioned analog. Can DVB live side by side with future DOCSIS versions? At which point it will come as unnecessary to save bandwidth broadcasting this way. Thanks. Um, I think I mean I think it's a challenge to do that. You really, it all becomes IPTV, um, it's kind of as, as John's saying. I think, saying,
1: end, I think as, you'll find, as end users, we all worry about our bottom line of how much it costs. Yes, like we've always said this from the beginning. Cable companies do à la carte because it's kind of like no one would pay for PBS or the golf station. Yes, or whatever. You know, you're paying for. ESPN and all these other stations with your blanket amount every month and everything else kind of subsidized in there. But if you did a la carte, there's some stations that would just go under. They'd
0: they'd go out of business to be specific.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You know, some college, whatever stations. So I, I understand that, but I think the, the, the paying community is like, I'll do everything over the top. Uh, if it's not live, it might be a week later, but people are starting to realize that getting a whole season in one chunk and I can binge on it when I want is kind of nice, also, right? It's like the younger generation don't remember how it was the real struggle of, oh, I got another, wait another week to see what happened. Yes. You know, not anymore. They get the whole season downloaded and we'll watch it when I'm ready. Yeah, and and yeah, I think and that's the way things are going. And it's just buy for high speed access and then I can watch what I want. And it's like, do I need DVR? Not really. Everything's stored somewhere anyway. Yeah,
0: you know, and, and can... Sean Lester. Uh, so, hey, Sean, thanks for joining. He mentions uh, that uh, I, I thought I saw it on there. Uh, YouTube has a great DVR for that. Um, and then Jeremiah, thanks for someone having remembered the SETI project. <laughs> he had a screensaver doing that, to CPU. So um, I, I guess we're all showing our age here. So, Jeremiah. Thank you. Remember. Hey, Don, welcome. It's good to see you back on the show again. Um, So, John, let's uh, move into the meat and potatoes. Uh, Eventually, every cable operator is going to need to move from DOCSIS 3.1 to DOCSIS 4.0 due to capacity at the CNG event last week. This was something we discussed at length, but it's not a simple path because there's there's still so much runway in DOCSIS 3.1. Getting to, I think that was Jeremiah's comment before. How much, how much runway we have, and the fact that DOCSIS 4.0 equipment is not yet available. So we we really can't do 4.0 yet. So let's let's look at some of the talking points that we we had last week at CNG, and and that was a kind of a big one. So we talked about. There's still a lot of runway left in Doxis 3.1. There was a talking point of, you know, the concept of why don't we have a Doxus 3.5. John, uh, I think you coined, you know, hey, why don't we have a Doxus 3.14 Doxus Pi. Yeah, we cool. talked about that at Expo last year. Um, so, you know, how, how much... You know, there's so much we can do with DOCSIS 3.1 right now. And and I think uh, even someone from Charter said this was the primary objective for them was to stay on DOCSIS 3.1. And we had some European uh, representatives at the show that said, you know, most of Europe is already at 1.2 gigahertz in their plant. They have a 1.2 gigahertz downstream so that for them, there's not much urgency in the European market to move to DOCSIS 4.0 because they're just going to stick with DOCSIS 3.1 for the foreseeable future. The US, they're saying, well, you know, maybe there's some more urgency just to do the upgrades. Um, So there's kind of that fast tracking to go to mid split because a lot of your US plants are still at 42 megahertz. DOCSIS 3.1 modems are readily available. DOCSIS 4.0 modems... They're going to have um, Wi-Fi 7 in them, and and they're also going to have. Um, they're expected to have 10 gigabit Ethernet ports, whereas DOCSIS 2, DOCSIS 3.1 modems have either one gig or 2.5 gig Ethernet ports in them. That 10 gig Ethernet port in a DOCSIS 4.0 modem and Wi-Fi 7 in a DOCSIS 4.0 modem that's not gonna be inexpensive. So it is expected that DOCSIS 4.0 modems are gonna cost a bit more than DOCSIS 3.1 modems the same way the DOCSIS 3.1 modems are gonna cost a bit more than DOCSIS 4.0 modems. So it's expected that for some period of time, you know, DOCSIS 3.0 is gonna take us quite a ways and and there's still a lot of capacity in DOCSIS 3.1. So before we get into DOCSIS 4.0, let's talk about how far we can take DOCSIS 3.1, John.
1: So, you know, we talked about the analog video, and that was the premise behind getting more downstream speed is open-up spectrum. Whether we're at 1 gig or 1.2 gigahertz on our cable plant, um, DOCSIS 3.0 stops at 999. It's the last single-carrier qualm it can lock onto. So the bandage is 1.02 gig. Uh, so that last 1 gig to 1.2 gig would be an OFDM, you know, downstream DOCSIS 3.1. And there's no other space to go unless we go – Doctus 4.0, extended spectrum, Doctus 1.8. But instead of that, why don't we go backwards? You know, why don't we get rid of the analog video? Why don't we get rid of the digital video and reclaim that spectrum and just do 192 megahertz blocks of OFDM? You know, the more blocks we do, the more speed we have. Now, the modems themselves that are on the market can only lock on the two OFDM blocks, but that doesn't mean you can't put four OFDM blocks in the spectrum and blast it down and have like a load balancing right, right. so you can have be on two OFDM I could be on two different OFDM so you could be getting four or five gig and I'll get five gig at the same time right yep. so we're sharing the same physical coax but we're not sharing the same physical spectrum so in that regard we have virtually segmented ourselves or load balanced um but I can't get the 10 gig, elusive 10 gig that we're trying to promote. Yes, uh, the 10G initiative. <laughs> yeah, I need a new modem to do that. And whether it's the Pi modem we talked about, <laughs> where we could just have more capacity in a 3.1 modem, or do I have to wait for the 4.0 modem? Yes. And that's the question is, what does that 4.0 modem mean? Is it an FDX 4.0 modem, an ESD 4.0 modem, or a combination of the two? And <laughs> how much is it going to cost me? You know, we talk about cost, but... People aren't afraid to spend like a thousand bucks for a dang new phone. With <laughs> All the time, yeah. There's a lot of compute power, but th- that, that modem is going to have a lot of capacity and compute power as well. Um, maybe we need to figure out how to do apps on the uh, new modems.
0: Yes, yes. Or, you know, like we talked before, how do we get... Revenue out of the new modems. Let's uh, let's head back to the chat room here because there's a lot going on. So um, Jason's talking about binge streaming better than binge drinking. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> uh, so we were re- to <laughs> write back.
1: I was trying to comment back, but I couldn't comment back. I was going to say. Binge and purge. <laughs> we binge and we purge.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, Sean, I know Sean, you work with a lot of customers on the IP si- IPTV side. we were Sean and I were just talking about this yesterday. We got to move customers as quickly as we can to IPTV. Jason, moving them is an advantage of higher levels of resiliency. So, I t- completely agree with that. Um, so, guys, thanks for the back and forth on that, um, Mel. We have. N plus 2 now uh, for DOXUS 4.0. Do we need N plus 0? So, Mel, we so as we talked about the Comcast, uh, this is going to depend. If Mel, if you're looking at going to FDX, you're going to have to get rid of your any legacy amplifiers, and they make a new type of amplifier, which is an FDX amplifier. If you're looking at ESD, the extended spectrum DOXIS then no, you can you can still keep your existing amplifiers. You're, you're going to have to change your split. If you're a 42 megahertz or a 65 megahertz in Europe, you probably want to increase your spectrum and your return in order to get the, the speeds that you need in return, but you can still keep your existing cascade of amplifiers um, for DOCSIS 4.0. Let
1: me, let me add on to that. Think about this. If, if he does uh, DOCSIS 4.0 extended spectrum, and you say, oh, well, I still want to stick to 1.2 gigahertz downstream, not go to 1.8, uh, but I'm increasing my upstream split, which that upstream split eats into my downstream. So you just got to take that in consideration. But an N plus 2 might end up being N plus 3 because you might have to backspace a little bit, the, the the actual spacing, right, of amplifiers. And when you mean but backspace, you, had, you mean like shorten the, the
0: cascade?
1: Not the cascade, but the, ca- the length between the, the two th- amplifiers, right? Yes. And that might be because you are going more – higher downstream spectrum but if not maybe you don't have to change the spacing because if you have to rip out amplifiers and change spacing at that point you're like why don't i just do fiber to the home you know there's going to be a point where it's like that cost and that complexity and that logistics it's going to be a nightmare and the whole point here is we're trying to milk this cow as much as we can (laughs) we have a plant we want to use it what can i put on the endpoints and make it go faster correct and that's why we keep inventing higher levels and evolution of boxes,
0: and and also better amplifiers. So it it could be you just get a different amplifier that has and more power. more gain, more power, and and we have yeah. new hybrids, new gain stages in the amplifiers that can pump out more power. So that might be something. Um, that you have to do, Mel, in order to do that. Um, yes, Jason, we got a rim shot just for you. Mia even said, if Jason's on, she's going to use that rim shot for you. So that's where it came. And Jason, you bring up the port, part, point of smart amplifiers. So smart amps give us um, the capability to do more and have more visibility into the network. So one qualification, your existing amplifiers will have to be confirmed to perform at higher frequencies. So that's, as we said, so Mel, there are options out there for you. Um so
1: you know, even, even even Teleste, I remember uh, one guy used to work for us, uh he works for Teleste and he did a presentation and cause I brought this up a while back. If we go past 204 to say 396 on the upstream, I worry about temperature effects on air, black jacketed aerial cable. Yep. Sun loading, temperature affecting my RF, higher frequency means more loss at higher temperatures. So it's like we have no upstream AGC, we rely on the modems to jack up their levels to make up for it, uh, but maybe it's just too much. Um, with these smart amps, we could look at the downstream AGC and just make a, a, an estimate, like a, a, what do you call it? Extrapolation of uh, this is how much it changes this frequency. I'm gonna guesstimate this is how much it's gonna change at say 200 megahertz. So I can have an upstream AGC based on my downstream you know, reaction. Yes. And in, in that regard, the smart amplifiers would be the way to go. That will be built in. And then whenever the temperature changes, the motors are not... still up 50 and not trying to jack up to 55 or whatever they are.
0: Yep, and they can automatically adapt themselves. So, um, yeah, so uh, Andrew... <laughs> Spinal Tap designs. Spinal Tap. You so see, you gotta, you gotta get that reference, and I'm not sure that everyone will. Uh, but the Spinal Tap amplifier should go to 11 ideally. Uh, so, Andrew, low latency DOCSIS kind of feels like a pipe dream, uh, as efficiency, latency, monitor seems to be lacking. Do you anticipate this landscape changing with DOCSIS 4.0? Is there a benefit for gamers over DOCSIS 3.1? Um, Oh, I don't. That's a actually a good question. If we get better, I think we do need monitoring for it. I don't know if we get uh, if we get anything if any any low latency improvements with DOCSIS 4.0. Do you know that, John?
1: Well, I mean, we still have the DOCSIS, low latency DOCSIS stuff that was in 3.1 that is still being worked on and and slowly implemented. So that It's funny, that feature might be just slightly ahead of 4.0, but it's been taking so long to really get implemented uh, the low-latency DOCSIS stuff. And that, that comes down to Cisco uh, has something called DPS, DOCSIS Predictive Scheduler, uh, working on something called PGS, Proactive Grant Services, uh, um, ASF, Adaptive Service Flow,
0: yeah, but this yeah. is all this is all part of the Doxis 3.1 spec. None of this is needed Correct. in Doxis 4 So again, this goes back to how much can we get out of DOXIS 3.1? And it's a lot. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so I, I just want to move on a little bit to the the rollout. So, you know, again, I think there's a lot of runway in DOXIS 3.1 um because it's gonna be a little while till we get DOXIS 4.0 equipment and some of what we talked about is um, so kind of the theme at at the at last week's show was VCMTS, everyone was talking about VCMTS. You know, Comcast is on the VCMTS train. Just this week, there was an announcement that uh, Harmonic and Charter, and I think even ATX uh, announced something with uh, Charter that they're doing a lot of VCMTS work. Um, so that kind of seems to be the theme. Late 2024, early 2025 timeframe is looking like when we're going to have DOCSIS 4.0 VCMTSs and then. Just shortly after that is when we're going to have CPE. So here we are, early 2023 and kind of late 2024, early 2025 is when the actual hardware will be available. So it's going to be a while, folks before we start to see availability for DOCSIS 4.0 upgrades out there. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the reality of it. And it's a good thing because we have a long runway on DOCSIS 3.0. Love to hear from our subscribers. What are your thoughts, where you're at with DOCSIS 3.1? Are you looking at 4.0? Are you thinking about Pawn? Let us know where you're in the chat or in the comments section below what's happening in your neck of the woods. Um, what are your plans? We'd love to know your thoughts on that. Um, So finally, John, during my panel on convergence at the CNG conference, we had a fascinating discussion about the future of cable networks. We talked about how cable operators can seamlessly integrate various technologies like DOCSIS, PON, Wi-Fi, 5G, just about everything that was the technologies that are available to create a network that enables subscribers to stay continuously connected to the cable operator network, no matter where they are. Um, We also emphasize the importance of security, you mentioned that earlier, and the ability or the reliability of the network alongside with speed. So it's not all about speed. We can't just focus on speed in order to build networks that customers can depend on. Our our vision of convergence represents the culmination of basically everything we've been doing in the cable industry for the last 50, 60 years. Um, and it brings us one step closer to achieving this kind of like Star Trek-like communications network for the industry. The panel itself, you know, built on all the other presentations was and was essentially a summary of the event. All in all, it was kind of like a highlight and a prediction of what we're trying to achieve. Um so I, I know you kind of mentioned before, it's like we're, we're looking into the future, but I think we kind of have to do that in, in order to figure out what we're doing. So, you know, in Doxis we talked about the triple play. This is kind of like that building on that, how we can add more and more services and tie them all together, especially as we bring 5G into the network and how we can keep subscribers on, on our network. Um, so just continuing on with that path.
1: It's, so I'll give it a I used to think that when I started thinking about RPD and remote five, I mean, remote five, digital fiber to the tap, as close as I could get. And if I could get rid of coax, I get rid of ingress at the RF level. Uh, and then I could do five G maybe from the tap or fixed wireless or or just regular Wi Fi. But everything that's open can have interference. Two point four gigahertz. Open frequency can have interference from neighbors in over the place Five gigahertz. Then I think the Chinese uh, was three point five gigahertz. That was their Wi-Fi, um, and we might be using that here in the U.S. as well. So I mean, you're gonna. I, I keep changing my mind. Like the more I use wireless and get some interference or instability, what's wrong? Like it'd be nice to have at least one wired connection, whether it's wire or fiber, like something that's enclosed, right? Yep. Um I'll give you an example. Is uh, it sounds like an. Um, a sacrilege for me as a cable guy, I got fiber to my home. <laughs> I couldn't get coax because I'm in the middle of the freaking field and uh, in the middle of the country, but I was able to get fiber to the home from a uh, co-op here okay. in North Carolina. And I, uh, and I'm one of the last persons on my road to get it. And then my daughter built a house beside me, but she can't get it because they ran out of circuits all his own stuff. So I went and got the ubiquity Wi-Fi devices and point to each other and she's tagging onto my, my, my internet, uh, until they can finally get fiber to her. So, I mean, it's worked out well, but it's also the trees are still bare. So once the trees (laughs) start getting foliage, I might have to like have a line of sight through my trees or cut some trees down. I, I don't know yet. So, um, so for now, you know, you make do with what you got, but if you could get a, a a connection into your house that doesn't get affected by rain fade and, and ducks and (laughs) whatever else happens to fly by and, and, uh,
0: so, so, that was one of the things we talked about was the you know the resiliency and and the reliability. We talk about modems that have 5G built into them or LTE built into them. So if your doxus network or your PON network goes down, it it's automatically bridged over with um you know a wireless or LTE or 5G connection. Having that um, that resiliency automatically built in so your network never goes down. Um, those are like kind of important things on the convergence side that we really need to be uh creative and and building into our network as as an industry um today some operators are starting to do that but in the future like as an industry we have to have that across the board all the time because we are so reliant on network connectivity networks cannot go down and that was another part that we talked about it's like you know when you're designing a network as a cable operator if you build everything onto a single core and that core network goes down, all your subscribers go offline. So that's a, not an optimal design. Uh, there was a number of, of panelists that talked about, you know, if your video goes down, you need to have a failover. If your voice goes down, you need to have a failover. Everything has to have a failover. Everything has to have be very high reliability because that is what our subscribers expect from us as cable operators, as providers, and you know we're not there yet as a, as a, as an industry, but we have to focus on getting there as an industry. And if we don't have those types of conversations or those type of objectives and plans, we're not going to get there. So it's it's making that plan and executing on that plan as an industry. That's part of the discussion we were having on the convergence panel. So I think it's very important. Um,
1: okay. Yeah, you talked about the five G. So th- that was one of my daughter's first. I told her I said you could look at the Verizon or five G hotspot solution, and it wasn't bad, but then it was metered. Yeah, so fifty <laughs> yeah, a of with a couple kids and iPads and over the top video and Oculus gaming, uh, fifty gigabytes they hit it like three days. Yes, you know it was something crazy. So it's like, yeah, this is not going to work. Yeah, and I think we the all, all, people want all you can eat.
0: I, I think there was a number, the average speed per home was something like 300 gig per month. It was quite high. So there, there's a lot that we consume, especially because a lot of us, like yourself, myself, if you're using Netflix, if you're using over the top, you you just don't realize how much data you are consuming on a regular basis. Um, a lot going on in the chat room here. I probably missed a lot. Uh, Daria... Daria, great to see you, my friend. Uh, talking about M plus something, how many techs still need to manage that Jedi art called Sweep. I think that's a good point. When you get down to very small cascades, Sweep is just not going to be needed anymore. Um, well, ain't no snafu. <laughs> no folio.
1: Full bandwidth capture should do the what we should what we need for sweep, right? Yes. That was all full bandwidth capture and the PNM stuff.
0: And in PNM and the upstream, you get your in channel frequency response, so you, you really yeah. get a lot of visibility in the network with um, PNM capabilities.
1: You yeah. so might have the UTS, the upstream triggered spectrum capture, so you can you can get the upstream spectrum graph right from the RPD. You know, if you need that as well. Yes. You know, talking about the upstream uh, frequency trace that's good if you have upstream frequencies right (laughs) but if you're not fully loaded in the upstream you're not going to get a good, good trace whereas the upstream triggered spectrum capture is the noise and ingress and everything right it's the whole spectrum
0: yes so utsc for those of you familiar with utsc it's awesome um so telemetry yes jason we get a lot of telemetry uh, Vasa Flowers, good to see you. DAA and Pawn are hot here. VCMTS planning is underway. That seems to be the theme for everyone. Um, Vasa Flowers, good to see you. Yes, network resiliency is absolutely key. Jason, completely agree. Parallel communication, absolutely necessary. Metal, my first music love. I was never a metal head. Um, but <laughs> I, well, no, I take that back. I was a metal head for a period in high school. And then, uh, and then I just kind of faded away from that.
1: i tell you what. Metallica and Corrosion of Conformity opened for Metallica at uh, Bryce Jordan Center at Penn State. Yeah. And this was after when we were at Seacore. Uh, and uh, it was one of the best shows I ever saw. Well, I mean, they, they, The old bands don't synthesize a lot, so yeah. they actually play. And they <laughs> sound it almost the same as if they were on the CD or whatever. Uh,
0: Reminding me of a friend
1: yeah, about...
0: One of Mia's colleagues at Seacourt, court um, I don't want to mention mention her name, but she was a big metalhead. <laughs> it's just bring back memories right now. Okay. You, you know, where you and I worked uh, together and, and Mia hung out.
1: <laughs> employed? Where we worked, but Mia was employed? Yes,
0: that's the place. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Vasa Flowers says, ACDC and Iron Maiden.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny, also, you talk about resiliency. I think it's a matter of giving the customer... An option like an option B so if video went down but I couldn't replace that video with the same video but I had internet the customer would figure out what else to do yes like, oh, well you know what I'll table that and hey let me get online and do something else but you can't have no connectivity yes you have to have something you know I used to say back in the day it's like uh, the telephone industry had it the, the wool over our eyes because if the network was down, you would just get a busy signal. So you, didn't, <laughs> you know didn't know if the end customer was on the phone or not, but really the network was down. So yep. they covered the tracks to make it look like it wasn't their fault. <laughs> so I used to say, back before internet came out and cable modems, we should have had TVs that had like a built-in storage of something that if it went down, it popped up and say, oh, like uh, the movie theater, go visit your, go get your popcorn. <laughs> or just played
0: some, some crazy go video or something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, throw something up there to keep the eyeballs there and the kids quiet while the network was being fixed. (laughs)
0: Genius. (laughs) uh okay so yes go penn state um <laughs> and jason he jason i i don't know he has a coc story for you someday and uh sean vt with metallica's enter sandman for the win all right john yeah. thank you all right folks we are at time so i gotta wrap this up john anything uh you want to throw in before i you know just say the end here
1: um no, I mean, I think we keep saying time will tell. Um, are you going to Anga? Anga? No, I'm not going to I Anga, but next week
0: on. I am going to the uh, Cable Labs PNM face to face. So anyone going, I hope to see you there. It is in Denver at Cable Labs. Jason, I will be seeing you there. I'm not sure if anyone else in the chat. But I hope hope to see you there. Uh, Jason Schultz, good to see you. Still rocking CBRAs here, but getting a tiny bit closer to VCMTSs. Recently turned up, stripped down KOS. So congrats, Jason. Welcome to the virtual world. Local trees. Sorry we won't see you in Denver. Um, So with that, folks, um, we have reached the end of the show. Please uh, hit that thumbs up button. And the like bell, or the you know, all those bells and subscribes, we greatly appreciate that stuff. When you do
1: getting that. it on my screen is not working. <laughs>
0: <laughs> push harder, John. Push harder with those biceps, um, not the calves. All right, and with that, we've reached the end of another exciting episode of Get Your Tech On. We we certainly hope you got something out of this, and you know found this discussion a little interesting and informative and thought-provoking. As always, we welcome your comments and questions. We appreciate all this went on in the chat. It was a great chat today. Um, we can't wait to see what's in store for the future of the cable. I mean, this is there's just so much happening in the industry. It's really exciting. Um, hope you'll join us back on April 14th for another Back to Basics with the legendary Ron Rannick for a deep dive in carrier-to-noise ratio. Uh, you won't want to miss that episode. It's going to be a good one with Ron. So, thanks for watching, everyone. Appreciate everyone attending. And so long. And thank you, John, for your attendance as well. Hey, was this episode 90? This is 90. Was this was our 90th episode. So, Dang, all
1: right. we're, we're getting up there, man, the in many more ways yeah. than one. So,
0: all right. So long, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> that was awesome.